Welcome to Unhacking Democracy, a podcast that jumps down the rabbit hole to explore the world of information manipulation in the social media age. It's an adventure that will take us from the fake news on your Facebook page and the trolls on your Twitter account, to shady tech companies, Machiavellian billionaires with dark money and darker motives, the psychology of online movements and how they can be subverted, and perhaps most importantly, we will explore ways to cleanse our polluted information streams and refine the promise of the internet. My first guest on the podcast is Carl Miller. Six years ago, Carl founded the Center for the Analysis of Social Media at Demos, the first think tank unit dedicated to researching digital society. He's worked with technologists from the University of Sussex to use artificial intelligence to research social media, analyzed Islamophobia and online hate in the wake of Brexit and terrorist attacks, and covered digital politics for the Sunday Times. He's a visiting research fellow at King's College London and is writing Power, a book on how power is changing in the digital age. In this conversation, we get into the vulnerability of social media to manipulation, military views on it, how online movements are manipulated, the existing use of online bots, and the potential future use of AI in information manipulation. I started by noting that while social media has facilitated an increase in democratic participation, it is increasingly becoming clear that it is vulnerable to being hijacked by well-resourced people with a particular agenda. So two things. Firstly, yes, we, we've lived through a seismic shift in the nature of political engagement. Engagement on social media platforms is now one of the most significant, if not the most significant way in which people do politics on a, on a regular basis, get involved in political discussions, challenge political representatives, form new political groups, start new um, campaigns. Um, I mean, really incredibly quickly those things have all changed and moved into the digital arena, at least for some. And I think what we kind of are only waking up to now is that that exact same venue, which we now regard as being one of the most important ones for being political beings, is also considered by militaries around the world to be literally a battleground. I think that there was a shift that happened within military doctrine like reasonably recently. It, depends on the military, but, but over the last kind of 10 or 15 years, where um, kind of military strategists realised that conventional kind of kinetic means weren't the most effective way of achieving the political outcomes of their countries. I think Russia realised that its economic inferiority meant that it was never going to win a conventional military arms race against NATO in the West. And in the face of that, Information was defined along with space, ground, sea and air as being a theatre of war. That meant different things. Some of it meant kind of using information within conventional warfare. Some of it meant gaining information dominance within a particular specific theatre or battleground. You know, and that was all about guiding missiles and knowing, you know, where the enemy's tanks were. But it also did mean kind of mini like mass manipulation of opinion of kind of publics of other countries. And this is something that's been going on for time immemorial and the whole propaganda theme has, is not a new phenomenon. I guess the question is, has there been a massive step change in the effectiveness of propaganda techniques through social media because you can personalise messages, because you can spread that information like that to publics around the world, regardless yeah. of borders and countries? I mean, the research in me says it's impossible to measure 
and it's you know it, 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 yeah I mean active measures was a really important part of the Cold War on both sides you know and had tens of thousands of people on both sides working on it you know Radio Free Europe and um, planted books about um, um, JFK being killed by the CIA I mean all kinds of shenanigans happen between states I mean statecraft has you know has, has been a part you know stagecraft has, has used it for so long but I think that like one like the it seems that firstly the, these things that we consider to be distributed networks um, are actually quite capable of being captured by centralized sophisticated actors mm-hmm. so it does seem that the internet is actually quite vulnerable to things like militaries trying to manipulate them two it seems that it's it's easier to manipulate the kind of media ecology of another country than it was before simply because the internet has allowed that media ecology to fracture in so many different ways and there are fewer professional journalists now that are actually the kind of making the kind of decisions around what can and, and, and can't enter that that public sphere. <laughs> and then I suppose like thirdly, like the internet does allow a new kind of lie. So, that, so there are some things that have been going on for ages, but there are some things that haven't been. And I think it, it's now so much easier than it ever has been before to manipulate a crowd by pretending to be that crowd. This is astroturfing, is that what, what yeah. people call us? Yeah, exactly. So um, that just to give a bit of background, that's creating a fake grassroots movement, at, as in astroturf, which is fake grass, to provide social proof for a particular idea or movement. Yeah, right? is that? Yeah, and you know that that usually uses a mixture of automated and manual um, kind of interventions. Some of it is to do with um, kind of technology specifically built for that purpose. Some of it's to do with massive troll farms and parts of the world and salaried employees but yeah the overall aim being um that um you know exploiting the fact that we are very very amenable to mimicry um we tend to believe what we think those around us believe um and um it's quite easy then to like create a crowd which seems to be pushing in a certain direction um using yeah using fake accounts um, manipulation of online reputation systems, um, the creation of kind of apparently independent news outlets. Um, yeah. And this, this feels like an area where measuring the effectiveness is a real challenge again because I knew, I've read reports about these kind of campaigns and, and the operations of bots and trolls and so on in the Brexit campaign, in Catalonia, multiple other recent referenda. It must be really, really hard to actually determine how effective they are, and and also whether they're going on. And this this goes in a way back to how you can find good sources of truth on these issues, given the disinformation battle back and forth. Do you find it hard to know where to look for for credible sources of information? No, I don't think anyone does, and that's part of the problem. We all think we know what the credible sources of information are, so, and and I think that. That actually is, is, is one of the things that can be exploited here. It's incre- it, it is very difficult to know how much this is going on. I mean, you've got this kind of massive spectrum all the way from kind of overt white, you know, uncertain grey and subvert black activity happening. And in many ways, I think kind of governments are simply exploiting that the exact same spectrum that's been used in advertising for quite some time. Everything from totally legitimate advertising all the way through to like spammy stuff all the way through to, you know, black hat, SEO manipulation and everything else. It's a contiguous spectrum. There's, you know, the, the only thing which 
divides this blurry, difficult line of some poorly defined norms and sometimes law. And it's really, really difficult when you're looking at a, an apparent online disinformation campaign to try and glue up all these different things together. Because you've got, you know, you've got perfectly over state news outlets selling one line. You've then got a shower of conspiracy theory websites that seem to be taking that theme and running with it and usually exaggerating it. And then you've got this kind of massive hornet's nest of people, some of which might be paid, some of which probably absolutely believe 100% what that story is that seem to take it, mm. you know, and you've got journalists that try and call it out and they get harassed. And again, some of that might actually be the operation of the television scene. Some of that is just the kind of trolling and nastiness from normal, everyday people that you see all the time. Mm. So unbelievably difficult to unpick all of this. I mean, you know, the, the American intelligence community is still trying to work out what the exact effect Russian activities that they can attribute had on the, on the election. And... We, we, we're waiting eagerly to see what the assessment of all that is. But yeah, I mean, it's really, really hard to measure. I mean, as advertising generally is hard to measure, you know, I mean, if, if ROI was easy, return on investment was easy, then, you know, advertisers would be doing more of it. Just taking Brexit as an example, do you think that the Russians were involved in social media manipulation around the, the referendum vote? Um, I don't know. I really, really don't know yet. I think the Russian involvement itself is now politicised and weaponised, obviously, and being thrown around all over the place. I think what is clear, so like to me so far, are the overall aims of this. So I think it's unusual to see one of these activities simply trying to replace one view with another, because it's actually quite difficult to do that. So if you look at um, actually the countries which are probably in receipt of most of this kind of activity. It's not us in the UK and it's not the States. It's um, Eastern Europe, it's Ukraine, it's the Baltic and the, the Balkans. They are probably overwhelmingly the targets of this kind of activity. By the Russians? Or again? By the Russians, okay. yeah. Much of which goes completely unannounced yeah. or, or unanalyzed by, by us in Western Europe. And actually, you know, do publics in that country discernibly agree more with Russia now than they did 10 years ago? No, like not at all. But I think what the aim is, is to try and undermine the basic kind of trust and belief in truth and our institutions itself. So I think, you know, you, you might not be able to get more people to want to vote for Brexit, but I think you can get more people to mistrust mainstream news sources um, and mistrust mainstream politicians. Why would they necessarily want to undermine trust in mainstream media sources and politicians? So that they can then insert their own messages through alternative because, media because sources? Un un undermining our democratic institutions make us, makes us weaker. But I guess it also fits into the larger narrative around NATO and yeah. um, the role yeah. of NATO and yeah. in, in limiting Russian influence in, in Eastern Europe. And yeah, and I think, I think it, it, it's, it's those reasonably fragile international ties which are the ones that you can, again, difficult to measure, but at least like kind of by, on a case-by-case -case basis, you can see that, that have been targeted. So um, UK relationship with the EU, like probably a big one, which is why, like, although, you know, it's very difficult to measure, it would be surprising if Russia wasn't in some way involved in the Brexit campaign. The relationship between the EU and the US and the relationship between NATO and all of its member states. Um, and again, like, much like domestic democratic institutions, if those multilateral institutions are undermined, again, it makes us all weaker. Russia, you know, I mean, Russia geostrategically would love for the EU to not exist. And you, you've sort of been talking to, it sounds like you're in contact with 
people who are data scientists who are trying to analyze the impact of, of social media manipulation, is that right? Or? Yeah, much like okay. in their own small way, yeah. Okay. We're building some tech to try and... Okay, so there are tools being built that might be able to give us some answer as to how significant the manipulation was and how much of it, an impact it might have, or at least point towards that? Yeah, I think that there's, there's probably two big ones. Like mm -hmm. One is simply the um, identification of, of automation. Mm -hmm. So how do you actually detect bots? And this is an arms race. Um, so if you go on the dark net, you can buy um, cheap bots for like a dollar, um, but then you can buy increasingly more sophisticated ones that using that uses various kinds of camouflaging techniques, um, you know, latency, strategic withdrawal, or um, uh, some kind of manual um, input as well. And all of that is a way to try and stop technology being able to reliably identify it as being likely to be automated. So the, the Twitters and the Facebooks automatically filtering out content from those accounts because they Tech pick up certain triggers or, or, or independent researchers being okay. able to identify the size and scale of it or yeah. western intelligence agencies probably doing stuff on it as well okay. um, yeah so there's definitely an arms race around that and i think probably the other one that's really important is kind of what researchers would call kind of ideational diffusion or contagion mm. you know just the 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 uh, uh, ways of tracking the spread of ideas mm. from network to network platform to platform spokesman to spokeswoman and you know that that seems to be really important in terms of trying to get get a kind of scope of what networks are actually involved in this kind of activity can you unpack that a bit well so you you, you begin you begin probably with a overt news outlet setting a theme mm -hmm. um, that gets taken up by a series of like second tier non-state-owned or non-kremlin-linked um, news outlets running with that theme, writing their own stories, using some of the same material. You know, that, that spreads into a series of even smaller outlets, sometimes individuals, campaigners, and again, kind of like taking that theme. So there's, it, it, the, 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 there are linkages in terms of the information or the theme or the allegation or the argument between diff lots of different kinds of actor. So it, it's likely that disinformation operations are quite networked and quite cooperative. So if you can identify ideas, so um, one might be Ukraine shot down on 817, you know, and you can try and track that spread across the internet from, or not only the internet, so track it from, you know, mainstream broadcast to um, internet conspiracy theory website to um, Ukraine-based pro-Russian campaigner um, and so on. Um, you can kind of get begin to get a handle on, on all the different actors that are involved. And we've been talking about Russia a lot. It's not just Russia that's involved in this. Yeah. You know, I, I, Western intelligence agencies probably aren't above it either. If you go on the Snowden disclosures, you, you'll see something called JTRIG, which is the um, GCHQ kind of influence operations and internet effects task force. Mm -hmm. You know, so this isn't, I think, a problem um, with Russia. Um, I think it's the, the, the spotlight is just on Russia at the moment. Okay. From what I've heard, it sounds like if you're a democracy, you're more likely to use these tools overseas. And if you're an authoritarian dictator, you're more likely to use them at home um, to affect your, your local populace. And, yeah. and I guess the, in, in my mind, it feels like this is an area where I, I hope that there are some defences that are being deployed against these kind of things internally in the UK. You'd hope that GCHQ would be able to do something about it. I doubt there is. Okay, 
What makes you say that? And do you think it's just impossible to defend against? Or are there things that the government should be doing? Well, I think from a technical point of view, I think it's hard to tell. I mean, we do know that intelligence agencies do quite a large amount of scanning on kind of incoming data through the large optic fibre cables that, that, that come into the UK. And they do detect various kinds of attack vectors, normally cyber, cyber attacks, that try and stop them there at the border. But I think it is unbelievably difficult for even very technically capable in, like intelligence agencies within the liberal democratic West to do anything about this because it actually involves the one thing which we definitely don't want and have never wanted our intelligence agencies to do, which is mass manipulation of the news. Yeah. So like, you know, what do you, uh, what do you want them to do? To start shutting down apparently legitimate and even in some cases probably legitimate sources of news and opinion and, and analysis on the internet or start shutting down voices on the internet which yes might be FSB linked but might just be people that are saying things which they don't like. I mean it's incredibly difficult and I don't think there's any legal basis really to allow them to do that kind of thing. Do you think there might be something, again this is all incredibly fraught as an area, but around the funding for sort of purported news organisations? So it feels like part of the, the challenge here is that people have no idea of the interests behind different media organisations. Yeah, um, and I, I think probably like rather than just all this kind of, you know, newfangled kind of like big data analysis work, I think there's probably some really old school investigative journalistic work to be done, which is all about kind of trying to follow the money between um, outlet to outlet, spokesperson to, you know, to intelligence agency. Um, yeah, I think there probably is some kind of good work to be done there. Um, and not mm-hmm. already has, you know, I mean, already is being done by you know, journalists. Brave ones um, around the world. So, um, yes, I think I think there are things like that that can be done. But in terms of like you know, can GCHQ build some magic magic algorithms to kind of protect us from this? Um, I don't think they can. I don't think they should. One of the questions I've got around is is technology really because it feels from what I've heard at least, and again it'll be good to get your view on this, that a lot of the technologies used so far in bots and some of those bot farms to date hasn't been incredibly sophisticated. It's been automation rather than overly intelligent automation. But we're now entering the world where AI advances are coming and potentially more quickly than some people expected. Is there a risk that whilst these things may be effective at the moment, we're looking at a future where their effectiveness is only going to increase, where social media manipulation is only going to become more prominent as it's given the jet fuel of AI to back it? Yeah, definitely. I think you're spot on. I mean, what happens when the Turing test gets passed? Like yeah. you, you will literally never know again whether you are speaking to a, a machine or a human intelligence. So yeah, exactly. I think, I think many, much of this is still very crude, luckily. And God knows what happens when, you know, as, as we can see, like really clearly in the kind of like the parallel development of chatbots, kind of AI gets better and better at understanding the way that we talk and being able to mimic it. God knows what that means for the capacity of tech giants or researchers like us to be able to detect things mm. like bots. Yeah, uh, much of it is really crude at the moment. And I want to come back to your, so your book was, is about power, and I want to unpack that a bit because it feels like in, in conversations that I've had with friends about the development of artificial intelligence, there's a big debate around how quickly it's going to change the economy, how quickly it's going to change the car sector, whether it's going to be slow or fast. And I've had a bit of a Twitter debate with uh, Rory Keflin-Jones about this. And he's, he's sort of had to participate in a, a select committee for the Lords 
on how quickly it's going to be. And he said that a lot of the technologists on the panel basically said it's going to be really quick. And the journalists took the other side and basically said it's going to be a lot slower than, than expected. And his point is that a lot of the regulations require social acceptability. Things like self-driving cars come with a whole remit of interests, embedded interests that are going to be quite hard to overcome. Mm. It feels to me like the corollary of that is that AI is going to flow into more unregulated areas, perhaps unseen areas where there aren't necessarily such clear impacts. And I guess this feels like one of those slightly murky areas. Mm. Social media manipulation feels like a murky area. And if you're developing AI and you're a powerful person, you're a a billionaire or a leader of a, a country, perhaps with less democratic ideals, then perhaps the first thing you would look to do with your artificial intelligence is to maintain your power or, or grow your power using that. And again, this feels like where social media manipulation comes in. And so this, what I've been sort of struggling with is almost this dystopian vision of a world of, of kind of managed consensus where the, the very powerful amongst us only increase their power through using these tools. It's kind of like a new form of capital where once you've got it, it really helps you to, it becomes more and more embedded over time. Is that dystopian vision plausible? Do you think it's something we should be worrying about? I think both happening. And to, to be honest, like I, I've kind of tried to avoid talking in such general terms about this because it's kind of like trying to answer questions like, is social media good or bad? Um, you know, does technology challenge or consolidate entrenched power. I mean, both in, in a million different ways, which is a kind of really unsatisfying answer, but, but it's true. So does blockchain represent a profound challenge to the finance industry? Like, yes. Is it also being used by the finance industry? Yes. Does all this activity happening challenge the state? Yeah. And of course it does. In many ways, I think political parties and the state itself seem to be quite profoundly undermined by much of this stuff. But then at the same time, you can also see in other areas where China, Russia, um, the digital world is an extension of state power. So there's a really kind of muddled, muddy, complex thing happening where in some cases, old power seems to be challenged by this new power. Um, and in others, old power seems to have kind of gobbled up and instrumentalised, and as we've just been talking about, weaponised mm -hmm. new power for its own ends. Carl, well, thanks very much indeed for taking the time. I think cool. we should probably call it a day for there. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. My journey into the strange world of information manipulation has begun. From this conversation with Carl, I was particularly struck that military strategists have decided that social media is a battleground. I hadn't really seen this as a military issue before, which was perhaps naive. The conversation has also left me with a range of areas I want to explore more. Carl mentioned that Eastern Europe has experienced social media manipulation techniques for longer than Western Europe. I think it'll be really useful to explore that with an expert in social media manipulation in Eastern Europe. I'll try and find someone who knows about that. Carl also talked about tracking how ideas spread around the internet. That feels important in being able to understand whether these techniques have any impact. If you know anyone who I might be able to talk to about these areas, I'd be very grateful if you could let me know via Twitter. My handle is at Pete underscore CB. Until next time, thanks for listening.